Welcome to this week's Toronto Real Estate Podcast. As the real estate landscape shifts, both the rental and resale markets are undergoing transformations. Today, we delve into the heart of these changes from the landlord's perspective. We'll explore the challenges of finding quality tenants in a competitive market, the strategic decisions landlords face in selling, versus holding their properties, and the conversations we're having daily with our investor clients trying to navigate their way through unprecedented times. With insights from recent reports and firsthand accounts from fellow Fox Marin colleagues, we'll shed light on what landlords are thinking about behind the scenes and how they choose to respond. I'm happy to introduce our panel today. Of course, Mr. Ralph Fox, co-founder and broker of record at Fox Marin, our very smart and opinionated in-house real estate economist. Ruben Labowitz, a broker with the FM team with extensive knowledge working with landlords, tenants, and investor clients. And Jerome Werniak, an agent with the FM team with a big, big commercial and residential background and a sharp eye for numbers, trends, and analytics. My name is Corey Marin, and I will be your host today. I'm also a broker and co-founder and the one that basically writes 87 or 88% of what you read, see, and view from Fox Marin. If you see an explanation mark or an ampersand in the punctuation, it's a dead giveaway that I wrote it. So today, we're diving into the real estate market from the perspective of the landlord. We could not ask for a better group of experts to discuss this topic, having worked with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of real estate investors and landlords over the year. This crew knows a thing or two about this topic. Okay, let's jump in. How are you doing, boys? Doing great. After doing that well. intro, pumped up. Awesome. You call me every morning, Corey, if you I want. I would love to tell do me, that. Tell me that. <laughs> that sounds like a great plan. Well, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. And as I said, we could not have a better panel to discuss this today. So let's dive in. Is the resale market slowing? in tandem with the residential resale market. Ralph, why do you think this is, if that's true? Because I've always been under the impression that the rental market heats up during times of economic uncertainty. So I'm a little bit confused and perhaps our audience is too. I think everybody is confused right now because what we're seeing is something that nobody's seen before which is an unprecedented increase in interest rates in the face of inflation. And so there are not many people in our line of work. There are not many landlords. There are not many first-time buyers who've ever seen this before. So it is very confusing because it's truly unprecedented in terms of what we're seeing on the ground. And I think that's having a, a huge effect on the market. And essentially, my take on it right now is that the Bank of Canada has basically locked everybody into their homes. And because of that, it's really put a freeze on transactions. We've seen transactions at 20, 30, 40-year lows, even though we've seen the population of the city you know, double or quadruple in that period of time. So um, we've seen a tremendous amount of slowdown. Uh, and it is surprising to see how slow the rental market has gotten as well. And I think we're seeing that slowdown happen in real time. And I don't think you're seeing the media uh, pick up on it yet, but we're definitely seeing it with all of our listings, with all of our interactions uh, with landlords and, uh, and tenants as well. So it is definitely happening in tandem currently with the resale market. Jerome and Ruben, could you add some extra light on that? Because you're closer to that 
vertical of the business. When did this, this, I was under the impression that the rental market was on fire and we were seeing unprecedented rental rates and properties renting out at such a quick velocity. And now I'm hearing that perhaps that's wrong and that we actually have rental products sitting. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, the data shows, at least in the city of Toronto, average condos slowed down for rentals uh, in the month of September. Generally, August is a huge month, usually the most popular month for tenants to move. It's the start of a new school year for university students. It's the start of a new school year for people with uh, children. And generally, it's the end of the summer. People are ready to get back to work, start their new lives wherever they make their new home. Now, in September, We track something called the absorption rate in the rental market. And absorption rate in September was the lowest it's been in 10 years outside of the one year in COVID. So what that means is effectively, uh, condos are taking almost twice as long to lease in the month of September as they were in August. And anecdotally, and with the little bit of data we have so far for October, that trend's continuing. And we're seeing average condos in the market for about 20 days right now in the month of October. If you uh, go back in time to when the rental market was quote unquote ripping, um, we're seeing properties get leased within hours sometimes. Um, And I think average days on market at the peak of sort of rental mania was about seven or eight days. So what's causing the slowdown? I have a theory that Ruben, I think, agrees with. I think um, a a large component of it is prices around resale properties uh, are a lot more impacted by interest rates than rentals. Mm -hmm. Rentals are driven by people's income and people's job stability. So if somebody um, makes $65,000 a year, on paper, all they can really afford to pay is about $2,600 a month in rent to make the numbers make sense. And if you don't have wage increases going up, and keeping pace with the rental market, you're going to see um, the desire for tenants to move slow down. Second, and just as impactful to this, is that when you have sort of 20 to 30% uh, increase in average rents over a one and a half year period, like we've seen over the last year and a half, basically since January 2022, when the rental market started to return to normal after COVID, um, people are just locking in their rents. They're saying, if I move from my property I'm going to have to pay one and a half times more for the same place. Why would I ever move? Mm-hmm. And we're going to get into some you know, shared apartment data later in the conversation. But uh, that is, those are the two main drivers to get to where we are today. Jerome mentioned the C word in there, COVID. And this is reminding that me a lot. That could mean so many things, by the way. <laughs> that could mean so many things with the past few years. <laughs> um, this is reminding me a lot. And... I think really it's been from mid-September to today, it's starting to remind me quite a bit of how the rental market performed and reacted during the heat of the pandemic. Um, And there is, like Jerome said, fewer people are moving. Rental rates have gone to a point where unless it's a situation, nobody is choosing to move, but also some people can't afford it. And and speaking with uh speaking with tenants who I'm going to seeing as they're moving out of their these properties that that we have leased on behalf of our clients um they're moving back in with their parents mm-hmm. and they're moving to Alberta i think a lot of people are have just been locked in and there is more inventory coming up and so it has really caused a slowdown in the market so more inventory has come online prices the average price to rent has gone up and we're just not seeing salaries match 
inflation. And so people are getting priced out of the rental market. And so instead of stretching themselves or not even being able to qualify on paper per se, they're taking other options like moving out of the city, moving to the 905, the 705, shifting provinces or moving back home. Yeah. The other thing I I think we should mention on this is that, you know, there's a lot of psychological uncertainty for both homeowners, but renters as well. And, you know, if you look at big banks, you look at some larger corporations, there's not headlines right now about them making record swaths of hires and and, uh, unlimited job postings. Unemployment data hasn't really shown that much of a significant tick up as a lot of people expected by this point in our interest rate uh, hike cycle. Um, but we're hearing, you know, drips and drabs of RBC laying off some staff here in a certain department and larger tech companies scaling back hires. And psychologically, if somebody's, you know, 25, 30 years old in a rental property, and all of a sudden the sentiment around their career growth is been dampered a little bit by the economy, they're probably less likely to take on and stretch for a rental property that might be a little more expensive they can afford today um, if they don't think their career uh, prospects are going to be increasing their income over the next few years. That totally makes sense. And that also comes in tandem with inflation, right? Like going out to dinner uh, isn't the same as it was a year and a half ago. Uh, Going to Metro and buying blueberries, as Corey likes to point out, is not the same as it was a year and a half ago. It's actually raspberries, but we'll run with the blueberries. Even... (laughs) <laughs> well, there you go. So in tandem with the uncertainty is the increase of costs going up everywhere. So we're seeing that uh, across the board, and it is starting to become very reminiscent of COVID with a lot of people for various reasons based on what's happening in the economy, uh, wanting to go back home where it's safe and someone can do your laundry. Yeah, that seems pretty And you can amazing. share your Netflix uh, subscription with your family in the same household. Can't do that I anymore. I know. From, I keep uh, having to sign houses. back in and out and in and out. I'm like, what is the password on this thing? <laughs> oh my gosh, my life is so hard. I have to sign in and out of Netflix. That sounds a little bit ridiculous. So Jerome, I've heard it's becoming increasingly difficult for landlords to find quality tenants due to the heightened competition, these economic shifts, and the ever-evolving renter's expectations. So is this true? And how is the landlord adapting to these challenges? Oh, there's, I mean, you can boil it down pretty simply on a month-to-month basis. The rental market moves quickly. Like uh, you don't really have listings sitting on the market for four months like you do in the resale market right now. There's always a lag. You know, um, you know, monthly data generally comes out the fifth day of each month in the Toronto Real Estate uh, Board report. Then you have rentals.ca reports, and you can look through all of these. But there's usually kind of a 30-day lag for landlords and agents that are on top of data to make decisions and advise their clients accordingly. And if you just look at the chart from the beginning of you know January 2023 to now, uh, up until August, you see prices going up, and you're like, okay. You know, let's push the envelope. The market rate right now is thirty-two hundred. Let's put it up for thirty-three hundred. See if we can get it. All of a sudden, you only get two or three showings. You don't get any offers, and it's been on the market for three weeks. Okay, should we do a price reduction? Okay, let's cut a hundred dollars off. Still sitting there, not that many showings coming in. Um, okay, maybe we maybe we cut again. And when there's a leg like that, you generally going to have tenants with a lot more leverage showing up, saying, "I get to pick and choose." what rental property I want because you know I'm competing against 50% uh, 
um, the number of tenants as I was if I was renting a place in June. And so that shift is just getting noticed by landlords and their expectations around pricing um, is starting to adjust to that. And advice, advice to landlords and smart landlords are taking this right now is let's get ahead of the curve. We already know we're not going to be able to get a record-breaking rent in this building right now. So let's under uh, price it under what we think market value is, try and get more people through. And more importantly than anything for a landlord, they want a good tenant. They don't really care about getting an extra 50 bucks a month. So if they get more good tenants through and they've priced it in line with what they should, with all the forward indicators you're seeing in the rental market, that's the right strategy right now to find a good tenant. So landlords are trying to push their rents up because they want a cash flow. And with the interest rates being what they are, it's just making it more challenging. So they're trying to drive the prices up and be a bit unrealistic at times. I think right now is that we're not really seeing, I mean, we're seeing a few, but we're not really seeing the kind of overarching group of landlords realize that yet. And that's why we're seeing um, your average days on market for a rental at 21, which still sounds really quick, but then you go and you look and it's been relisted once or twice before. And all of a sudden this property has been on the market for a month and a half. Um, it's vacant and they're bleeding money. Yeah, I think landlords were trying to kind of get ahead of interest rates as much as possible when they really should have been trying to get ahead of all of the inventory that has since come online and trying to secure that best quality tenant and trying to have their pick of the litter of who they want to live in their property. That makes total sense. And, and, and Ruben, we have a scenario like that where a tenant or a landlord is trying to look at maybe pricing from April or May, but the market is indicating something else. Can you like in an about roundabout way sort of ex- explain that situation? Because I think it's very typical of the dynamic right now that's going on between landlords and tenants. Yeah, there's one particular property where the, the landlord is very focused on what other people in the building have got four months ago. And it's very difficult to try and convince when there's nothing else that's happened in a particular building. It's very difficult to convince somebody um, or have them see that what happened four months ago in their building is not the case today. And so really, and, and why I said earlier that it's reminding me of COVID is because rental rates are changing and activity is slowing on a week by week basis. And I just did one particular study. I was looking at one quadrant of the city and looking at one bedroom condos that have leased um, in the past week. And I wanted to do the past week in this particular instance because it was just the time period that we were working in. And so in, in the past week, since last Monday in this quadrant of the downtown core, there had been five one-bedroom condos that had leased. There had been 36 that were brand new listings, and there were 105 one-bedroom condos available for lease in that very small section of the city. And so what we're seeing and what I was trying to convey is, hey, look, nothing is leasing. Mm -hmm. There have been all of these new properties come online in the past seven days, and there are still 100 plus listings available. And so tenants really do have the pick of the litter. And like Jerome said, like Ralph hinted at, it's really just important right now in this current market that is changing on a week-by-week basis for landlords to get ahead of the curve, not from a rental rate perspective in terms of trying to maximize, mm-hmm. but their long-term costs 
avoiding vacancies and getting that best quality tenant that they can. Yeah, the vacancy is so expensive to carry the property empty for one to two to three months makes no sense when you can get a quality tenant in there for $200 less than the former rental rate. Especially as things are slowing. So if if you know things are slowing and you can see the direction that the market is heading and cut your losses now and get somebody good in there because you don't want to be chasing it in a month from now when it's going to be published in the Toronto Star that the real estate market, that the rental market is going down significantly and then you're basically trying to catch a falling night. And layer in the fact we're heading into winter, which is typically the slowest rental market. No one wants to move in the dead of winter in February in a blizzard, and people aren't looking to make those shifts at that time of year. So Ruben, have you noticed landlords specifically increasingly eager to test the market by selling off their non-cash flowing assets? So even if these properties are tenanted and perhaps... Um, not presented in their best conditions. So does the selling landlord client or um, have to take a different strategy? And I think you have some properties on the market like this now. So maybe add some color around that. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, I mean, I think everybody knows or everybody should know right now that a property will always sell at its highest um, when it is vacant and staged. And so it is a very different scenario when you're trying to sell a tenanted property. And there have been increasingly an increasing number of tenanted properties come online in the past six months, um, if not more. And so you really do have to go about things differently. Um, you cannot expect to sell for the same price as, uh, as you would if you were vacant. Um, you may expect to cater to a smaller segment of the market, especially if that tenant um, is in a fixed term lease. And so maybe they still have nine months on their initial term, which I've been seeing a lot of. And I, and I, like you mentioned, I do have a property on the market right now where there's quite a bit of time on that initial term. And so you were really focusing on investors at that point. And investors in a lot of instances are going to look at the numbers and say, okay, in order to make this work at this current rental rate, this is the discount that I'm going to expect in order to purchase this property. From a, communication and the logistical standpoint, it's also incredibly different because you have these tenants living in the property who are likely not very happy that you are selling and that they might need to find a new place to live. And so ideally also goes points to the importance of finding quality tenants, but ideally you can have open communication with them. You can work out schedules um, and everything goes smoothly, but in a lot of cases, that's just not what happens. And tenants are pissed off. They don't want people coming and going. They're working from home. They don't want to move. So yeah, there are a whole slew of difficulties that uh, that are presented when landlords are trying to list tenanted properties for sale. Um, and we are seeing an increasing number of tenanted properties listed for sale these days. And are people booking showings to see the listings that you have that are tenanted right now? You know what? I'm actually surprised that they are. Hmm. The feedback on those properties is as expected um, from a tenanted property, but we have had people through the door, um, which surprised both myself and my client a little bit. But yeah, I can say right now we are, um, but it would not be nearly the same activity again, as it were, if it was vacant. Property vacant. And yeah. I think one advantage that you have, which is really smart, is before you acted for your landlord selling client, 
when they were your landlord client, when they were looking for a, a renter at the time, you encouraged these clients to take photos of their suites vacant before any tenants moved in. So now you have access to pretty solid marketing materials and assets to showcase the property vacant, clean, white, good photography without all the tenants crap in it. So at least you have some decent photography of the suites before you've gone to market, which is a really, really huge advantage uh, for all of the landlords listening. Please, please always take vacant photos of your suite before you put any tenant in there and they will pay off in the long run. So it makes sense that you're getting some activity regardless of the fact that they are tenanted because... I think they show pretty well online, uh, seeing that they aren't staged um, as we would typically do at Fox Marin. I do have a question about selling the tenant's covenant. So if a investor was to purchase one of the suites that you have online that is a landlord seller that is tenanted, the investor, client, and their agent should be asking for information about the tenant before acquiring this tenant. Do you see a lot of due diligence on behalf of the buyer's agent and the investor to see what the covenant is of the tenant that's currently living there that they're seemingly willing to assume? You don't always, but you should, 100%. Um, If you're interested in purchasing a tenanted property, you should be doing all of the same due diligence, if not more, than if you had just listed that property for lease and are vetting those those, uh, potential tenants right off the bat. So you need to have that confidence that if you're purchasing a property, especially if somebody's fixed in um, and it's a non-rent controlled building, or sorry, if it is a rent controlled building, if it's a non-rent controlled building, you have a little bit more leeway. There are some ways around it if you if, if you absolutely need to have that tenant leave, such as increasing their rent by $2,000 a month, which I had uh, somebody tell me that that happened to them yesterday. In any case, yes, that due diligence needs to be there. You need to be verifying employment. You need to be running credit checks. You need to be speaking with references. Because if not, then you could have a really a problem tenant on your hand. And maybe that's why the landlord has decided. Exactly. Maybe they haven't paid you in all six months. Yeah. Yeah. You would also want to see uh, proof of payment for the Mm -hmm. last year. That's really good advice. Landlords listening need to be prepared to have all this documentation about their current tenant to share with the buyer's agent and their investor client, correct? 100%. And is there any breach of privacy with that? I've always been curious about this. Any tenants resistant in you sharing this information with a third party outside of the transaction? Yes. However, when a rental application is signed, um, the tenants are essentially signing away their rights. And, and it does says it's not only in relation to that rental application that they're submitting, but it's any subsequent purchase or sale of the property um, and they do have, they are giving consent at that time for their information to be shared with a prospective buyer. Ruben, if you ever want to trans- transition out of being a broker, I feel like you would be an amazing lawyer. <laughs> I, just, I don't like to read that much. <laughs> just feel like you'd be an amazing lawyer. You're just so good at the fine print. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, moving on. Thank you for these great answers. Ralph, have you noticed a trend on our team where we're increasingly advising our landlord clients? to resist selling their properties in this changing market, sort of urging them to adopt a hold and wait and see strategy instead. We are doing that in every single conversation we have with our landlords. 
Uh, currently, I think we'll be up to 12 uh, rental condos or rental units on the market by end of end of this week. At Fox Marin. So we do, yeah, Fox Marin. So we do have a lot of uh, inventory still coming out. But the first question that we're asking them is why do they want to sell? Uh, and I think the next question that follows that is what are they planning to do with the capital? And what is the best opportunity cost of that capital? And I think once you walk them through the fundamentals that have driven prices to get to where they're at over the last 20 years in Toronto real estate, and you help them get out of the fear and uncertainty because we're in a moment of fear and uncertainty. And if you can help sort of allow them to see with clarity and logic and rationality where we're at and where we could be at three, four, five years versus any other possible investment that they could make, knowing that over the last 30 years, nobody has ever sold Toronto real estate and not regretted it, and that they probably would end up in the same boat if they acted irrationally or emotionally. And most of the people that are calling us being like, oh my God, we've got to sell, mm-hmm. we've got, it's very emotional, understandably, given the climate and where we're at with the level of uncertainty and inflation and interest rates. But if you can help get over that emotionality and start to really think about the bigger picture, it starts to become clear what the obvious course of action is. Now, there are other people who have changes in life, changes in goals, all sorts of other circumstances that could override their decision, whether they should sell or rent. And in those instances, those are the people who currently are selling with us right now. But we are really trying to dissuade, and not a lot of real estate agents will do that. Um, but in this market, in this climate, uh, we're really trying to dissuade our landlords and our investors, especially from doing anything rash without seeing the big picture and thinking long term. Short term pain for long term gain. Always. Jerome Bribs, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah. I mean, your investment's not realized until you sell it. And so, you know, an investor could be tracking average prices, which haven't gone down yet, and they're about to. There's, that's a whole other conversation. But if you don't need to sell at a time when properties are not moving even one-fourth as fast as they have you know, over the last few years, there's just no reason to sell. Particularly, we're talking about selling properties vacant or having a tenant in there. What makes me nervous and sometimes a little bit happy when I see a landlord who pushes a tenant out. And we've had clients, tenant clients, where this has happened. This happened two weeks ago. I got a call from a client saying, my landlord just raised the rent 30% year over year. I'm like, well, the market hasn't gone up 30% year over year. So obviously, they're trying to push this tenant out to either re-rent it or sell the property vacant. And right now is absolutely not a good time to do that. If you have a tenant paying rent, um, doesn't matter if it was from three years ago, like, and that's the market rate because it's rent controlled, keep that tenant. And if it's a a non-rent controlled building and it's tempting for you to try and push the rent 10, 15, 20%, don't do it. Keep your tenant in your property right now. And if you're tempted to sell your property because you think everything's going to collapse, do not do it. Look at the fundamentals of the Toronto real estate market and hold on as long as you can. I know you might be negative cash flow now because your variable rate mortgage has gone up, but this is not a good time to sell. And as Ralph said, from a purely financial perspective, wait and see, wait and hold and wait for uh, calmer waters to prevail because they absolutely will. That's really good advice. Ruben, do you want to add anything to that? 
I'm just going to leave it at that. I think Jerome hit the nail on the head there. If this, is just, this is You're just welcome. such an indication that we're ahead of what the media headlines are saying about this exact phenomenon right now, about the connection between the tenant, the landlord, the selling, the vacancy, because people know that properties aren't selling and there's inventory right now, but they're not really considering the fact that it might not be easy to replace a tenant or find a quality tenant for that matter, and they might just end up with a vacant property period. Well, being greedy has a penalty. Does, doesn't it? Being greedy and stupid has a really big penalty. <laughs> and I think for me, it's so interesting. You know, there's the old axiom, buy low, sell high. Well, why would you actually sell at the bottom of the market? Or as we approach the bottom of the market, people should be buying now. And it should be the reverse when, when the market is, is, is flying. And it's so interesting how fear and emotion and mass sentiment can cause people to do the exact opposite of logically what they should be doing. Listen, we have multiple properties on variables. There's no way we're selling right now. No way. No way. No way. No way. I'll get a job at Starbucks before that happens. I've always <laughs> wanted to have a job at Starbucks. I want to work in a bar. <laughs> I cannot, Ralph, it's just too grumpy. you got to have a smile on 24-7. I'd be drunk the whole time. I'd just be doing shooters. Maybe Jimmy's I'd show up, the, I'd show up at the office at 8 a.m. Oh, my gosh. I would love to see you bartend, Ralph. I think we'd make a great bartending team, actually. Yeah. Fox Marin. You can do all the I talking and all. I got my first real estate job bartending. I was pouring drinks at Grace O'Malley's and filling up commercial real estate broker with Guinness. And one thing led to another. Bar is one of the best places to learn uh, how to communicate with people. And this is off topic, but oh. the best real estate agents, uh, usually there's some streak of working in a restaurant or bar, some somewhere in the service industry where they learn how to communicate with people. I was the Earl's girl of the year, just saying right now. Oh, come on. Wow. I mean, gosh, Vancouver styles too. I never made it out of the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, Ruben was, Ruben was back ahead. I, <laughs> and Ralph, I think you were a bouncer, weren't you? Oh, that was a long But time wasn't, it like, wasn't it like Planet Hollywood Skydome or something like that? It was the Hard oh, Rock Hard Cafe Rock. Uh, <laughs> in... The Rogers Center, formerly known as the <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. All right. Well, moving on, back on topic, all about the landlords. Yes. So is it true that some property owners are super reluctant about becoming a landlord in this environment or any environment for them that matter? So I believe we have some scenarios where either the tenant has given notice or the sellers had a change of life and they're moving on to a new house that's recently completed or they're moving out to their cottage full-time and now they have a condo or an asset in the city and their intention was to sell either when the tenant gave notice and or the property became vacant as they moved on to their cottage or new property. And now we're like, it's probably best that you rent it out versus trying to sell in this market knowing what we know about the rental market, but they're really reluctant about doing this. They don't want to become a landlord. Why is that? Tell me a little bit about that. Ralph, do you want to start with this? Yeah, and I'll speak as a landlord in this moment and not as a broker, but uh, tenants have all the rights. And it's very difficult if you run into a difficult scenario with a difficult tenant to make things right. 
And the landlord and tenant board uh, is basically a kangaroo court. And everything is slated in the side of tenants. And it can take six months to a year sometimes just to get in front of an adjudicator uh, at significant cost to a landlord, whereby even though they may morally and even legally be in the right, the outcome is still not assured. And uh, a lot of people hear those stories and they actually just don't want to have to deal with becoming a landlord and they don't want to expose themselves to the unknown. And those people uh, generally have never been landlords before or have been landlords and had bad past experiences. And they just don't want to be put in that unfair position. The great irony, of course, being is that when we are in a city that's dramatically undersupplied, uh, we would want to encourage people to be landlords to open up supply. But yet our system does the exact opposite and further only hurts long-term supply and both in resale and in rental. But I digress. But I think there's a lot of concern about the risks involved inherently with becoming a landlord and having very little rights and very little ability to enforce what little rights that they have. And so when the moment comes where in their minds, they've set themselves up for a future date to sell and they find out that that no longer is a viable option given the current resale uh, market, then, you know, they're reluctantly having to become aware of they're probably going to need to be a landlord and hunker down for maybe six months or probably a year or two until all of this passes. One point of clarity here, because we've had this conversation so often, and I think a lot of reluctant landlords or newbie landlords think that they can rent out their suite or their home for a year. And then at the end of the term, they can kick that tenant out and then sell the property vacant in stage. And that is not the case. So Ruben, Jerome, can you just provide clarity for the listener on that? And then Jerome, I definitely want to hear your point. So I'll jump in first. And I always, whether it's a new landlord or somebody who has done it or who has multiple properties, I always like to put a bit of the fear of God into them <laughs> before we list the properties for lease. Because of everything. It's why, it's why we call you the rabbi. <laughs> because of everything that Ralph just said. And so, no, you cannot rent out your property for a year or six months and just take it back and sell mm -hmm. it. Once a tenant is in there on anything longer than a monthly tenancy, they have all of their rights. And unless you are personally moving back in, unless a family member is moving back in, or in odd instances, unless you have a renovation that's large enough to warrant a building permit, then they could just stay in there for as long as you as long as they'd like. And um, even if you are hoping to sell six months, two years, whatever it may be down the line, you are not guaranteed vacant possession of that property. And Jerome, you were going to add something to Ralph's point and I interrupted you. Yeah, no, I was going to say that's the biggest, scariest animal in the room. It's the reason Ruben puts fear of God into people when they think about renting out. I think also a large portion of people that own real estate, say they own a condo and then they uh, get married or they move in with their partner, a freehold house, they're going to have kids, whatever the case is. And they're trying to figure out what to do with that condo. Owning a piece of property and being a landlord, you're running a business. Like it is, it is not just, you know, buying a GIC and waiting for a 4% return every year. Like there's activity involved. And a lot of people don't necessarily want to have to go through the hassle of running a business um, by being a landlord, having to 
follow up with the tenant if they don't send an e-transfer at the end of the month and having an awkward conversation or getting a call at 10 p.m. on a Friday night and saying, you know, the, the furnace isn't working or my stove's broken. And some people just don't want that hassle. Mm-hmm. That's completely fine. But if you're going to be a landlord, you should be a good landlord. You should be on top of it. You should, you know, make sure that you're giving uh, the tenant a good space to live and giving them quiet enjoyment. And if you're not up for doing that, you probably shouldn't be a landlord because it's going to give other landlords a bad name and it's going to piss tenants off. And we're probably going to go even further in the direction of providing more uh, uh, rights to tenants in a way that discourages some potential good landlords from becoming landlords in the first place. Though I do find being a landlord on the condo side, especially in new builds, pretty passive because nothing really goes wrong because it's almost like they're checking into a hotel. They have access to amenities. Everything's usually in good working order. You're not having to deal with the mechanics of the property. You might be dealing with a newbie young person that's like never changed a light bulb and they freak out about (laughs) the smallest thing. But generally speaking, outside of tenant turnover, it generally is low maintenance. It's the freehold market, I think, can be a little bit more uh, challenging where things can go wrong and landscaping or the neighbor or, I don't know, mice, all these things can happen. So um, I totally get that as well. But I just don't want landlords to feel like it's so challenging because I think it depends on what asset that they're holding. Rubes, I've heard you've had some landlord clients dealing with some pretty rough situations as of late. And we always love a good story around these parts. So what's going down and share the inside scoop with us today. (laughs) There are always interesting stories and fun stories to tell. (laughs) But this one in particular, I mean, it really goes into doing your homework and vetting who you put into a property, but also realizing that sometimes no matter how much homework you do, Um, no matter how positive their references are, no matter how much money somebody makes, there's always a little bit of unknown. Mm. And we had a client reach out to us recently um, who said, hey, and we had been in touch with them throughout throughout the summer, or I guess throughout the spring, but then things got a little bit quiet throughout the summer. And we thought that was a little bit weird. So we were in touch at the beginning of the fall and, um, and we found out that their tenant who had been paying rent on time had been dragged out uh, of their condo by the police. The door was knocked down and they were they were taken out. And then a few days later, all of their belongings were removed. And the, our clients, the landlords, went in. They painted everything. They did the few minor repairs that needed to be done. I think the window coverings were damaged by the police as well. Um, so they needed to reinstall window coverings. And then we were ready to relist it for rent. And so... That was the reason why there was a little bit of a miscommunication or lack of communication over the summer was because they were dealing with all of that. Oh my gosh. Um, what was the tenant doing? We can only speculate at this point. I want to know. I don't, think, I, don't think, uh, I don't think that information has been released yet. Have you Googled it? I, I, I have. <laughs> okay. um, I, I have. And, uh, yeah, let's, let's leave it at that. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> okay. But what I did find interesting... I mean, it's a crazy scenario and something that will should only happen once um, and it will likely never happen to, to any of our clients ever again. But something that I found interesting was, well, who was responsible for paying for the busted down door? Yes, I kind of was wondering that too. It wasn't the landlords. Somehow it wasn't the cops. 
It was the condo corp. Well, because the door is mm-hmm. owned by the condo corporation. The door is owned by the condo I corporation. Knew. I mean, it is going to take them about eight months to replace it, but they are paying for it. Those, so. doors, those doors are pretty thick. Those doors yeah. are pretty They're not thick. flimsy. Like, what do they do? Bring a battering ram? <laughs> oh, they must have. That's busted it down. Wild. We actually had this scenario. It's not related, but it kind of is. So Ralph and I were selling a property on the West End, a condo. We had a lockbox that was um, hanging in the designated lockbox area as per property management, which has happened to be exterior to the building in a very affluent neighborhood on the West End. And we get a call, I guess, the day after the incident. And in the middle of the night, they saw this all on surveillance camera, some like vagabond, I'll call him <laughs> or her, uh, went and smashed the lockbox open using some sort of tool of choice and got access to keys and the fob to get into this smaller boutique building, went into the building, went into the storage lockers, into the property management office, and I don't believe accessed any of the residential suites, but went into all the common elements and I guess stole a few things. Um, and this is all captured on, on video and we heard about it the next day and had to replace the keys and all this kind of stuff. But the condo corporation was trying to say that Ralph and myself were personally liable for this happening and that we should be personally repairing everything and all the damage. I'm like, but we put the lockbox in the designated property management spot that you have all lit and everything like that. So needless to say, that never happened. But the rumor was, is that Ralph and I should be paying for all of the damages that took place. So. I thought the rumor was that you were the one who broke yeah, that's what the I locker. Had. Yes. <laughs> Just desperate to get an extra set of winter tires in somebody's locker. Please. <laughs> Those 20-year-old skis? <laughs> oh, my God. Those 20-year-old 200-centimeter Ross meals? <laughs> Those lockboxes are tough, too. I've, yeah. I've had yeah. to drill one out before. It is not easy. I, yeah. I have no idea what happened. And storage lockers are such an indication of like people's lives behind the scenes when you go down and tour <laughs> yeah. them. And you're just like, this is all the stuff that nobody gives a crap about that's just sitting down there. Nah, there's nothing good in a lockbox. In a, in a, in a, uh, in a storage locker? Storage room, a condo storage locker, no, yeah. And they all smell the same, but that's a whole other story. Yeah. <laughs> so what is, okay, so we're talking about the rental market. We're talking about everything from the landlord's perspective. What is the hot rental asset right now? So do tenants want to, do they prefer to live alone? Are they looking at smaller studios? Or they're like, no, you know what? I want to share expenses and I want to have a roommate and I want to live in a two bedroom. So what is the sweet spot for the landlord right now regarding the rental price, rentability, room count, and location? Um, Jerome, do you want to shed some light on that? I just looked at the numbers on this. The average studio in downtown Toronto has appreciated faster in terms of average rent since January 2022 to now than any other asset class Mm. or unit type, one bed, two bed. It's gone up 35%. Uh, One bedroom, I think, was second on the list at about 27%. One plus 10, 25%. And two beds were surprisingly low. I think it was only just under 20%. And so what that tells me, which is basic common sense, as prices continue to rise, uh, as there's rental appreciation, tenants are going to be pushed into more affordable rental units. And somebody making 65K a year would have been comfortable in a nice 800 square foot one plus den. And they would have been able to afford that on a monthly basis 
uh, three years ago. But now that exact same person, exact same salary, all they can afford is a studio. So it puts a lot more pressure on the lower, uh, smaller unit sizes. And that's why you have rental increases the way that we're seeing right now. Now, in terms of splitting costs, I looked at this this morning. The average two-bedroom is about 40% more expensive than the average one-bedroom. So what that means is that, you know, my first thought is uh, you get a roommate and you share a room and it's going to be a huge cost savings. And it's not actually the case. Like, um we're seeing an increase in shared room uh, rooms getting rented out, meaning somebody that's been in a two bedroom for five years saying, um, you know, instead of moving out, I want to keep this rental rate because it's rent controlled. I want to have a roommate move in and split the costs of my under market uh, rental property and just renting out that room or technically subletting it out. I think we're going to see that trend continue. I think it's going to be a luxury in Toronto to have your own unit. If you're making 50, 60, $70,000 a year, that's something that people can aspire to, but moving with roommates is going to be the sort of entry point for most tenants. And the best deals that you can really find if you want the least monthly or lowest monthly rent possible is looking for like a freehold home that's been chopped up and it's three or four bedrooms and you're splitting that with roommates and people are kind of moving in and out. Classic like Annex neighborhood is a really good example of that. And Albany Street or Seton Village, you get larger homes like that. Um, so in terms of hottest asset class, if you bought a studio um, five years ago, you've done better from a cash flow perspective and an appreciation uh, price appreciation perspective. I think that trend is going to continue. Um, as a landlord, I think that's going to be the hottest asset class. And as the size of condos that are getting built continues to go smaller and smaller, you know, we'll see 300 square foot, sub 300 square foot studios pop up. And people are going to have all the amenities in the world they need downtown. They're going to put their head down, pull down their Murphy bed, um, eat up their craft dinner in the microwave. And that's kind of all they need. Quick shower and you're, you're, you're back on the streets in Toronto. <laughs> Well, it's almost like things are coming full circle because when Ralph and I graduated from university, which were very different years, by the way, just as a side note, but... <laughs> Decades apart. But <laughs> <laughs> we also lived in accommodation, much like you explained, with it was a house with five rooms and everybody had their room. And I think I paid $400 a month for my room. And there was one washroom, four girls, one guy that lived in the basement that I still have friends with mo most of these people, by the way. And that was just normal. Like everybody in their early 20s was living in these chopped up houses and our rent was super low and we weren't making a lot of money, but it worked. So it makes sense to see that trend making a comeback per se. That was before Liberty Village and bottle service. That's though. true. <laughs> Game changers in the life of any millennial. I know. One is very spoiled to live alone. Yeah. I didn't know anyone in my 20s that lived alone. That no. would have been an extreme no, luxury. I didn't know anyone. And once that started happening and... I guess my early 30s, I was like, oh shit, it's time for me to like figure out my life and get things into gear because people are acquiring properties and living alone and I'm still living in this shitty house <laughs> across from a St. Hubert kitchen, uh, chicken hut. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta increase my uh, lifestyle goals here. Okay, awesome. One last question for everybody here. Who is going to be the biggest winner in this market and who is going to be the biggest loser? Jerome, Rubes, start with you. I'll take winner if you take loser. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I think 
investors that have cash on the sidelines right now or are going to be able to access capital in the next six months are going to have some of the best opportunity to purchase properties in Toronto. And um, when you're not facing five competing offers every single night for a studio or a detached home, whatever the case is, that's a calm time in Toronto real estate. We just move at a clip that is so much faster than just about every other real estate market in North America. And that's the market that we're going to be entering into. Don't think we're going to see cash flow positive condos anytime soon. The delta is just still too large. But most people don't buy uh, condos in Toronto uh, from an investment standpoint for the cash flow. They're buying them for the long-term appreciation. And you know, if you're buying a one-bedroom uh, four months from now in the depths of winter and you're paying 20% less than you would have at the peak of mania in 2022, and that thing's worth a million dollars by 2030, mark it down, that's my prediction, you're going to be very happy you had cash sitting on the sidelines waiting for a downturn in the market and getting greedy when everyone else is fearful. I love that prediction. I would love for the one bedrooms to be worth a million plus by 2030. Mark your words right now. <laughs> Rubes, losers. I mean, for all of the reasons that Jerome just spoke about his winners, the losers are anybody who need to or are going to sell in the next six to eight months in what is probably the worst seller's market that this city has seen for who knows how long. So, I mean, advice to sellers would be hunker down, rent out your properties, stay put, whatever it is to avoid the downturn in this market and, and wait until things turn around. And then I'm going to put a very small side note for secondary. And I want to call them losers, but people who are going to be missing out or just put in a disadvantaged position is tenants that are being forced out. They are going to be in a very unfortunate position, especially in these non-rent-controlled condos where you have these landlords, these sellers who are thinking that the sky is falling, that are wanting to sell today, and that are doing everything that they can, increasing rent to get that tenant to go. Well, where are they going to go? So they're not losers in my books, but they're people who are very uh, just not fortunate to be in those positions right now. Totally agree. Ralph, do you have any last advice for landlords in this market right now? Yeah, number one, don't do anything out of fear. And if you're trying to make a decision and you realize that it's fear, fear of the unknown, fear of loss, that's making you make your decision, you're making the wrong decision. And any decision that's a business decision or investment decision should be really calculated and rational. And I think it's really, really important that if you can't find yourself in that place, to surround yourself with people who can be there for you to give you great, rational, long-term advice. And I think anybody um, who is out there making a decision should really be looking to consult with people who really know what they're doing and really have your best interest at heart. And a lot of people are going to make a lot of really bad decisions for the wrong reasons and by surrounding themselves with the wrong people. And so really be cognizant. If you're a landlord out there, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? And who's giving you the advice and who's giving you the assistance? And do they have your best interests at heart? And do they actually have the experience themselves to be giving you that type of guidance? And I think if you can make sure that you're 
doing everything in your best interest for the right reasons, you're going to do just fine. And uh, going back to what Jerome was saying is, you know, the best opportunities is when there is blood on the streets. And we're going to start to see blood on the streets. And a lot of times people have animosity towards really successful investors or business people. And oftentimes the people that they're feeling that way about built their businesses or made really shrewd investments during times where everybody was hiding and running away from everything that they had. So if you're listening to this, remember that and be motivated by the people who've built empires and look at when they've done that or the people who've amassed massive portfolios and look at when they made those investments and you're going to see it was probably in a downturn and in a recession. Now is the time to be thinking about expanding, not contracting. That's excellent guidance. Excellent. Very Ralph Fox as well. Thank you, Corey. And you would know. (laughs) (laughs) So as we wrap up today's insightful discussion on the landlord dilemma, it's evident that navigating Toronto's evolving real estate landscape requires expertise, adaptability, and foresight. From understanding rental market dynamics to making strategic decisions on property investments, landlords' challenges and opportunities are multifaceted and require careful consideration. A special thank you to our team, Ralph. Ruben and Jerome for sharing your great wealth of knowledge and firsthand experiences. For all of our listeners and viewers, we hope this conversation has offered some clarity, some perspective and actionable insights as you navigate your next steps as a landlord, an investor, or just a curious real estate bystander. Until next time, stay informed, stay resilient, and always prioritize those long-term goals. Thank you for joining us and thank you for liking, commenting, and turning on those notifications as always. Ralph, please sign us out. Just like to thank everybody for making it to the end of this podcast. If you're watching, that means you. And in turn, we love you in return. So please be sure to smash that subscribe button, hit that like button. And if you have any comments and they're constructive, we'd absolutely love to hear from you. Awesome. Thank you, everybody. Bye.